Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 86 of This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about how to read food nutrition labels. Jesse and I grew up doing this at diabetes camp, so this is kind of second nature to us, but plenty of people have no idea what the nutrition labels actually mean. But before we get into that, we have our wins and our fails. I have uh, the win of the week. I've been on kind of a nice streak of planning my food 24 hours in advance and then sticking to it. I like being able to plan out all of my food for the week ahead and know exactly what my macros will be and then take all of the basically in the moment decisions out of the equation. I also just put my sensor on my other inner forearm. And so far that's going pretty well. It takes some getting used to, but I like this new spot and I think I'm going to keep it in my rotation for all of my sensor sites. Jesse, what is your fail this week? Okay. So I actually kind of have two fails this week. So my first one is that I got a nail stuck in my tire from just driving around. Luckily, it didn't go flat and I was able to get home and then drive over to my dad's house where he's got an air compressor and we just filled it up and he found the nail and that was not fun. But there weren't any major problems and we got it fixed at Discount Tire down in Auburn. So thank you to those guys. And also thank you for not taking so long because that would have been really boring. And then my second fail is that at my last diabetic doctor's appointment, which was, I think, two weeks ago, all of us in the room realized that the next doctor's appointment will be my last one with her. Sorry, I'm getting choked up already. And I know it's it's really emotional because I've been with her since I was eight. Oh, I mean, I'm going to cry. And I love her so much. And so if she is listening to this because she found our podcast and she did listen to it. I love her, Dr. Marshall Thompson. Thompson, Dr. Thompson. I knew her as Dr. Marshall when she before she changed her name. So if you're listening to this, big thank you to you. And I don't want to leave. Please let me stay longer. Anyways, what's our tip and hack this week, Colleen? Well, before we get into the tip and the hack, that's just so sweet that yeah, you've built this relationship with your with your endocrinologist. And is she strictly pediatric or could yeah. you st- oh so you have yeah. to switch to an adult yeah so it sucks but well she will always be your first endocrinologist she will always be my favorite your favorite I knows that she <laughs> i haven't even met my adult one yet so <laughs> but she'll always be my favorite she has a special place in my heart that's awesome all right our hack this week is if you're buying packaged foods Try to only buy products that have five or fewer ingredients. And sugar should not be one of the top three ingredients. Products that have fewer ingredients in them are cleaner and they're healthier for you. All right. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about food labels and what they are, the different parts, and what everything means on them. 
this should help you grasp what, what diabetics and other people who read food labels go through every time we eat. Like every single time we go to the grocery store, we usually do this. Every single time we eat out or at a friend's house, we usually do this. But no worries. You can always go back, re-listen to this. So don't feel overwhelmed if you're listening and learning about all of this stuff for the first time. So. You brought up a good point about restaurants. I like to look at restaurants, uh, food, or they have nutrition facts for restaurants on their websites sometimes. So this episode will be, will be a good primer for figuring out what you can eat according to a restaurant's nutrition label. True. And also, if you go to like any fast food restaurant and you order anything like in store, like to sit in the rest, like they're sitting area, you can flip over that paper on those trays. And that's actually a nutritional label right there. It looks really spread out. And it's really in tiny print, but if it's a last resort, basically, if you need it. Okay. So parts of the labels. So before we get into this section, if you have the chance to pause and grab a soup can or something with a food label on it, it might help you get a better understanding of what we're talking about and following along. And you can even go on the Calorie King website and follow along there as well because they also have nutritional labels that you can look up on your phone. So there's a couple of different parts to food labels from serving information, calories, how many grams of different nutrients there is, and the daily percentages in each serving. So at the very top of your food label box, this is usually on the back of a packaging, there is a serving information. This is also called the serving size is generally what Colleen and I refer to this as. And when it comes to similar foods, for example, pizzas or like different packagings of lasagnas, the serving sizes are going to generally be the same quantity. So like one slice of pizza is going to be this such and such, even though the like the amounts of like carbs might be different. The serving size is generally going to be the same. So that's a fun fact that I actually learned today looking all this stuff up. So yeah, the same quantity should be around the same as like the same piece of lasagna on one brand is going to be the same on another. Anyways, <laughs> this is where you're going to find out how many nutrients are for X amount of what you're eating. So generally the label will say one piece is 100 grams of weight. This meaning that all of the nutrients listed below are going to be based off of that 100 grams of that serving size. Then somewhere around the, the serving size, it will also say how many servings are in a box. So then if you have an entire box of pizza, you can calculate how many carbs or how many amounts of nutrients you're getting based on the serving size of the individual piece and the serving size based on the box if you eat half or the whole box of something or package you know, whatever you're eating, you can figure it out from there. We'll get into this later, but it's really important to pay attention to how many servings are in a box because you might end up eating an entire package of Oreos thinking that you only had like two servings, but that that's not the, tr- not the case. Oreos, yep. it's like two pieces per serving and they give you 50 in a box. Yes. So it's always definitely, definitely important to pay attention about how many servings are per box versus how many servings are in one serving. So like one piece is one serving, you know, or like two Oreos is one serving compared to one box serving is this. So it it gets kind of complicated, but if you're following along on the food label, I promise you this is going to make it a lot easier. 
So from there, if you go straight down into the next row, you're going to see the calories. This is what people look at when they're trying to lose weight or tracking how many calories are in that food based on the single serving size that they provide you with above. So for one slice of pizza, it could be 100 or 280 calories. Then for every slice you have, you can multiply it by how many calories. For example, if I ate two slices of pizza, I take 280 calories multiplied by those two pieces of pizza because I had a total of two servings and then those calories are based off that one serving. So you just have to add more of those servings depending on how many you have, or you have to add more of those calories depending on how many servings you have. So all those people who thought that math isn't useful in the real world, nutrition labels, you're doing math. I mean, you're not going to need like algebra or like, you know, advanced rocket science trigonometry. But honestly, I think all diabetics deserve at least some basic form of degree in math honorarily given just please, I do this every day. So then we move down to the nutritional information. And this is where I'm just going to talk about the grams because we're going to get into the present the daily value percentages later in this episode. So if you're looking at the label and you see grams, that's what we're going to be talking about here. And then when you look at the percentages, we're going to talk about that in a minute. So you don't have to worry about that. So this is where you find your total carbs per serving, which is what we diabetics count for every single meal. So one slice of pizza might be 30 carbs. That's based on the serving size of what it is and the amount of carbs that are in that one serving size, not per box, not per two, but one slice of pizza per serving size is going to be 30 carbs. And this also goes for the other nutrients on there as well, like fats, fibers, you know, stuff like that. This shows you how many grams of what are in the foods that you're eating. This is where you can also show what the total carbs of pizza you eat in one sitting. So if I was at a party, pre-COVID of course, and I had three slices of pizza in one sitting, okay? Because I'm hanging out with my friends and I'm really not caring at this point. And, you know, we're throwing low carb out the window for this example. Now I take the total amount of pizza pieces I ate for one serving and I multiply it by how many times I ate it. So let's put that together. Baseline is this. One serving of pizza is one slice. We're doing a one-to-one ratio. We're going to make this super easy. And I ate three slices. Each slice of pizza has 30 grams of carbs. Now I take those three slices and multiply it by the amount of carbs in each slice. Thus meaning I had 90 grams of carbs in pizza alone. That's excluding like ice cream, cake later, you know, birthday party snacks. All of that stuff is being excluded. This is just the pizza because this is just one example. You can see how it all adds up very fast. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And the tricky thing about the carbohydrates section is that people tend to think that if there are no added sugars or just no sugars listed there, that it's okay to have it and that the sugar count is what, what matters. But that's, that's just, no, no, that's, that's not the case. The total carbohydrate count is what matters because all carbohydrates turn into sugar in the body. You can technically subtract fiber from carbs, but it does take trial and error to find out if that works for you in particular. 
I could before, like years ago, but now I can't. Like I can't have any of the high fiber products that are marketed as low carb because of how my body reacts to fiber. Also, this section will likely not list sugar alcohols, even if they are ingredients. This is why you'll get products with labels that say five net carbs. But when you look at the food label, it'll show 19 carbs and then eight grams of fiber, but you're still missing those six grams of sugar alcohol that aren't made clear in the nutrition facts. There are also some rules that food manufacturers have to follow. All packaged food labels must have the following. The common or usual name of the product, the name and address of the manufacturer, the list of ingredients in descending order of predominance by net weight. That just means if it's like the the most heavy or dense thing in the thing is the thing that's listed first, which is why I said earlier that you should not have a product that has sugar in the first three ingredients because that means there's more sugar in it. So ingredients have to include all of the components of the ingredients. So if one of the ingredients is enriched bleach flour, they have to tell you what's in that enriched bleach flour. It'll be wheat flour, malted barley flour, wheat starch, ferrous sulfate, which is iron, thiamine hydrochloride, which is vitamin B3, folic acid. You need to list all the things that are in. It's like a, a hierarchy of ingredients. So they have to list everything that's in those other ingredients. The eight major food allergens, which are milk, eggs, type of fish, like bass, flounder, cod, etc. Crustacean, crab, lobster, shrimp, tree nuts, almonds, walnuts, pecans, peanuts, wheat, and soybeans. Those are all allergens. Those have to be declared using the common or the usual name of the allergen. So they can't tell you that it has one of those things in it, but call it something else. All certified colors must be identified in the ingredient statement, which means something like red dye number five or FD&C yellow number five. They have to identify what color is in the ingredient. And also, side note, if it has a color listed in the ingredients list, I would not eat it because it's a color and you don't want to eat that. Preservatives must be followed with a statement of use. For example, calcium pro... Oh, I can't even pronounce this. Propionate. Calcium propionate. And they um, put in parentheses preservative. So it tells you what it is. And that's just for, for, for preservatives. They don't actually have to tell you other things. They also have to include net quantity of contents using metric measurements. Net quantity of contents must be separated from other text on the label, and it has to be located in the bottom third of the label. For beverages containing juice or that imply juice content, and that's fun if it implies there's juice content, there's some shenanigans going on there, the percentage of juice has to be declared on the information label. The Nutrition Labeling and Education Act of 1990, which is also known as the NLEA, it brought about the requirement for nutrition labeling to be carried on most foods. It also allowed for nutrient content claims, for example, low-fat, and FDA-approved health claims. Nutrition labeling is required for all foods with a nutrient content claim or a health claim. All food products marketed after May of 1994 must bear nutritional labeling unless the food qualifies for an exemption. Now, during the pandemic, the FDA has relaxed labeling rules at least five times. These are said to be temporary, but you never know if they'll just decide to keep them. The Washington Post reported, quote, the food industry has informed us that there are supply disruptions or shortages for some ingredients. As a result, manufacturers may need to make formulation changes, such as omissions or substitutions of minor ingredients. To address this situation and to continue to support the food supply chain during this emergency, the FDA is issuing guidance to industry to provide temporary flexibility for manufacturers to make minor formulation changes in certain circumstances without making conforming label changes. 
Other temporary changes that the FDA has issued since the start of the pandemic um, address nutrition labeling on food packages, menu labeling at fast food chains, and two involving the packaging and labeling of eggs. These rules have eased requirements for nutrition fact labeling on restaurant food that's repurposed for retail sale and have included cryptic guidance for food manufacturers with links that don't work. And I checked that. The links don't work. And this meaning it's going to be harder to count your food sources. Like it's it, This makes it almost impossible to get an exact carb count on what you're eating. I mean, we can, can't get the exact carb count anyway, but like this just makes it worse. And that's just the first four rules changes. The fifth rule change eases the requirements on vending machine operators to provide calorie information for foods sold during the pandemic. And it says that a manufacturer may swap secondary ingredients so long as the stand-in, quote, does not cause any adverse health effect, including food allergens, gluten, sulfites, or other ingredients known to cause sensitivities in some people, for example, glutamates. And that's end quote of just this internal section. So there's still another end quote. Castle, who's the basically the FDA spokesman, he says that the formulation changes should be consistent with general factors such as safety, including food allergens and prominence of the ingredient. But for the estimated 32 million people in the United States with food allergies, the devil is in the details. The guidance goes on to introduce numerous loopholes that are of concern to members of the food allergy community. End quote for the Washington Post. This leads into our section on margins of error. There are huge margins of error allowed. The FDA allows for a 20% margin of error. And that's just ridiculous. That's the, that's the margin of error on our blood glucose meters. We get this. This should not be happening. Seriously. Ugh. So if you've ever bolused for something, but it spiked you anyway, that could be why. This margin of error usually applies to the, the calorie content. So the true calorie count is often higher than what the label says. And the average is about 4% higher. But still, it allows for a 20% margin of error. Uh, U.S. News says, quote, the FDA has never established a systematic random label auditing process and compliance with the law is expected to be self-enforced by the food manufacturers, end quote. I'm just going to like let that sink in. Self-enforced by the food manufacturers. That's No, that doesn't happen. Also, manufacturers get to round down if it's less than no matter what. So if a single serving of something has 0.8 grams of carbs, they can say zero grams of carb per serving. But if you eat 20 servings in one sitting because it says it's got zero carbs, you're not eating zero carbs. You're eating 16 carbs, but you didn't bolus for it because the manufacturer was not required to round up or to give an exact number. I've done this before. This is not fun. Like, if you talk about sugar-free candy, this isn't like this applies to most sugar-free or sh- quote unquote sugar-free candies because this is exactly what happens. And this is like I've seen this on like fruit snacks before that say they don't have any carbs, but still I use them for low blood sugar corrections because they actually have carbs that aren't being put on the label. And they might put it in like the box label, but they're not gonna put it on those individual packagings of like fruit snacks or gummy snacks, or this could also apply to low carb or sugar-free sodas, like diet soda. This is where it applies to. So if you're having a full can of soda and it says sugar-free and look on the, look on the nutritional menu and it says zero carbs, that actually might not be true. Okay. Uh, and, I don't know. 
and uh, sugar-free stuff will also have artificial sweeteners in it. And you might react to artificial sweeteners. And we'll, we'll get to that later. We have a little blurb on that. But there's no easy way to find out this information. Like they don't have to tell you. So it's really hard to find out what things have things in it. And for example, the only reason that I know that heavy whipping cream has a small amount of carbs per serving is because I'm part of the low carb community. And that's something that they've identified. So like one, I think one serving of heavy whipping cream will have like 0.4 carbs in it. But I wouldn't know that if I wasn't part of the low carb community. So that's like, it's really hard to find out this, this information if you don't know where to look. But also if you look at the ingredients list, and if you see anything in there that resembles sugar or starch, and we'll have a list later of what things can um, sugar can be called, then you can kind of guess that there might be some carbs per serving. And then you can kind of give like a guesstimate bolus or bolus a little bit more than you otherwise would, and then just watch your number. It's going to take trial and error. All right. So what does each micronutrient and macronutrient mean? Usually on a food label, you'll see total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, sodium, total carbohydrate, dietary fiber, sugar, and protein. So fat is an essential macronutrient. and It's one of the big three, the other two being carbohydrates and protein. Saturated fats are fats where the fatty acid chains all have predominantly single bonds. And these tend to be solid at room temperature. So like butter, ghee, coconut oil, those are all saturated fats. There's kind of ongoing back and forth about the healthiness of saturated fats versus unsaturated fats. And I mean, just like do your own research on this because it really depends on what you want to put in your body. I am totally fine with saturated fats. I also like the unsaturated ones like olive oil because that's liquid at room temperature. So just do your research and find out which ones work in your body. Trans fat is a whole ball of wax. The artificial version of this is actually a really, really, really bad fat. It's basically the kind of thing that is a byproduct of frying, like deep frying. And it's in some cases, it's, it's listed on the label just for the sole purpose to tell you that it doesn't have any trans fat in the product because artificial trans fats are restricted for use. Natural trans fats, on the other hand, they do exist. Those are found in some meat and dairy products, but they're not really harmful in relatively moderate amounts. They're generally a really low percentage of total fat in that product. So I'm in a weight training class and we actually talked about trans fats. So basically the fats that you really, you know, should be like the bad fats, the bad juju fats, the one you really want to ignore for these trans fats. They've basically been legislated out of our American dietary system. So meaning there's actually a lot of bills, regulation when it comes to trans fats. So all of these bad trans fats that we're talking about, generally you don't need to look out for because they don't exist in our culture anymore. Like if you go to the grocery store, they're not allowed to have those bad trans fats in there for you because it's that bad. Like it's just not in our systems anymore. Yeah, that's why on the label, it's like it's there just to tell you that we don't have any trans fat in this. It's like a like a defense mechanism or something or a preemptive like, hey, there's no trans fat in this. Don't worry. So cholesterol is a micronutrient. That's it's something that your body uses to build cells and make vitamins and other hormones. It gets a really bad rap and it's misunderstood in general, but it is an essential micronutrient. So do your research on cholesterol. Sodium is another micronutrient. It's actually an essential one. If you don't have any sodium in your system, you would you would die. You would need it. That's why we talk about electrolytes and how important those are for um, balancing your, your system. You need electrolytes and salt is one of the biggest electrolytes. 
I mean, I it gives food its flavor. I love salt. I put salt on basically everything. It is very rare that I oversalt anything because I have such a strong like uh, tolerance for salt. So I, I love oversalting stuff. I put salt in my salads for crying out loud. Total carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is one of the three big macronutrients. It is not an essential macronutrient, but people like to pretend it is. It is the brain's preferred fuel, but it is not the only type of fuel that the brain can burn. Dietary fiber is listed underneath carbohydrates. It slows down digestion. It is a carb itself, but some people can subtract it from their total carbs. And like I said before, I can't. Uh, Sugar is also listed under total carbohydrate. This is referring to added sugars, not necessarily natural sugars, which would be included in total carbohydrate. So listen again at the end for the full list of, well, maybe not even the full list, just a list of other names that sugar can go by on the ingredients list. And then the last thing here is protein. That is the last of the three big macronutrients, and it is essential. Almost the entire body is made up of proteins. I mean, we say that the body is 60% water, but the other thing that it's like 60% of, or maybe even more, is proteins. Basically, everything in your body is made up of protein. All right. So now we're going to go into what the percentage DV means. And this is listed as percentage DV, and then it has a column next to like total grams of blah, 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 nutrients. So for instance, fibers, one serving has nine grams of fiber and a percentage next to it or down below it, you know, something where there's a percentage, that's what we're talking about now. So the percentage DV actually means daily value percentage in this food. So based on a 2000 calorie diet, and all of your little labels are going to say this too at the very, very end of it in the box, that it's generally based off of this many calorie diet. So this is what they're figuring out in percentages. And what this means is when you look at the label and see the percentage next to the grams, this is the percent of nutrients in this food that you should be getting daily if you were daily getting 2,000 calorie diet plan according to what the FDA wants you to eat. And this is what the FDA wants you to eat, not meat. This isn't what you need to be eating. It's what the government says you should be eating or wants you to be eating. And we've gone on tangents about this before, so this shouldn't be anything new. But so if the pizza has nine grams of fat per serving, the label is going to have a percentage next to it that says what percentage should be in your daily intake based on this food. So according to a pizza label, there could be nine grams of fat and that's going to be 12% of your daily intake based on a 2000 calorie day diet. And this is a not a one size fits all number and it's arbitrary and both Colleen and I completely ignore it and don't even pay attention to it for good reason. I would be really surprised if a slice of pizza only had nine grams of carb or um, nine grams of fat. Yeah, I was totally making all of these numbers up. This was just like based on what I could like do in my head for math based on 2000 calories. I didn't have my calculator and I really was not interested in looking to see how much fat was in a piece of pizza. Yeah, if you like actually look at the nutrition label for a piece of pizza, it's probably going to be something like 30 grams of carb and then like 50 to 60 grams of fat and maybe only like 20 ish, if that grams of protein, it's it's really off balance. 
And pizza in particular is a problem for diabetics because it makes our blood sugar spike later. But with percentages, ugh, I, I don't like when people use percentages when it comes to food because it makes things so murky. You should always stick with the number of grams in things and then tweak that based on your own body and not what the FDA tells you to eat. Like, no, we don't want that. Please don't. Please don't listen to the FDA. Just don't. And one of the reasons we also say this is because the FDA takes literally everybody and puts them on the same playing field. Literally every, they're not like literally everybody. If you look at somebody who's a size two, has really fast metabolism, this also may not apply to them. Whereas we diabetics have a little bit of a slower metabolism. Our bodies are built very differently because an organ in our body doesn't work compared to like somebody else who's this might fit someone out there. It doesn't fit everybody. So just take what the FDA says with a grain of salt and then figure out what actually works for you specifically, not what works for some, someone else, you know? So just with the FDA, you might need a bucket of salt. Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to talk about the ingredients lists. And this is a little, should be a little bit of a paragraph just below what the nutrition box is. Okay. So if you're looking at the label, like we told you to do earlier on your soup can, we're just going to look right below the box. Okay. And it's going to look like a little paragraph on what is in this product that you're eating. So this is how what how you can tell what they put in the food and what you're about to eat. So again, with pizza, it may say flour, water, eggs, sugar. Okay. These are all things that are in pizzas, but this isn't everything that's in a pizza. I'm just going based off of what like I make homemade. Okay. And what I generally know is in food. So the order of ingredients, what comes first is largest. Meaning that since in this example, flour came before water, there's going to be more flour in this product. So there's going to be more flour than any other ingredient in this pizza. Okay. So I hope you're following along with that. I'll say it one more time. There's going to be more flour than any other ingredient because it came first. Generally, you'll see it as sugar or cornstarch or Corn syrup, that's what it is. Corn syrup generally comes first when it comes to some products, most products actually, because it's sugar, it's sweet, and that's what's going to be the most prominent thing in your food. So most of the times you can't pronounce what the ingredients are, and that might be a sign that you don't need to be eating that because it's really unhealthy for your body. So just a little note there. On a side note, this is also how you can tell what are in cosmetics as well. So the FDA also has to like do this for makeup lines and products and sunscreens and stuff like this. And this is how people were able to tell when Neutrogena put out a quote unquote oil-free cleanser and it wasn't actually oil-free. They just listed it as the chemicals that were in that product that make up that oil. So instead of saying like tea tree oil or tree oils, they said the chemical name. So the chemical ingredients that make up tree oils instead of just saying tree oil. And that's how they trick you. And that's why they're in a class action lawsuit right now. So just thought I'd mention that. And that leads right into how to tell if a food is not one that you want to eat. 
look at the ingredients list. Literally, if it if it contains anything that you don't think that you want in your body, don't eat it. Take peanut butter, for example. I only eat peanut butter if it has two ingredients, peanuts and salt. That's it. If it has anything else like xylitol or sugar or corn syrup, which is another name for sugar, it's just a no. And we mentioned xylitol in the episode on artificial sweeteners, which is deadly to dogs. So if you have a peanut butter that has xylitol in it, don't feed that to your dogs. If a food has a lot of chemicals or like Jesse said, you can't pronounce the ingredients or maybe your eyes glaze over when you read it, either put it back on the shelf or do a quick Google search to find out what that ingredient actually is. And I'll bet that most of the time, it's just something synthetic or artificial or unnatural that you don't want going in your body. All right. This next section is serving sizes versus how many servings are in the container. So I did mention this a little bit earlier in the first section, but I'm just going to break it down one more time because I know this is like kind of overwhelming and I'm not going to blame you if you feel like, oh, I just need to pause for a second and absorb all of this. So on food labels at the very beginning of the nutritional facts, nutritional information, it's going to say grams per serving or one cup is one serving. This is what they call the serving size. This is also how you can figure out like general servings are. So like if you had like 100 grams of pizza, you can figure out, oh, that's two servings and that's one third of the box. So you can just kind of figure out and go from there. It's also fun when you have a can of like sauce or something, the serving size is half a cup. And then when you look at how many servings are in the container, it tells you there's three and a half. So really, you'd have to do a lot of math in your head for that. And it oh, it bothers me so much. My head hurts just thinking about this stuff because I haven't had to like look at boxes or look at nutritional facts for, for a really long time <laughs> on like, oh, three quarters of this is one serving size, but there's two servings in a package. And then your head hurts from doing all of this extra math that you didn't think you would need to be doing. Anyways. Yeah, with serving sizes and servings per container, the devil is in the details. A lot of people will grab a bag of chips and think that the bag of chips is a serving, but then realize that the bag had maybe three servings in it and the only bowl is for one. So hello, high blood sugar. My favorite is uh, the bags of moon cheese. I get the 10 ounce bags of moon cheese. The serving size is two ounces. Or no, the serving size... Actually, I don't know what the serving size is. I just know that I only do like 15 or 30 grams every time I have it because... I just do, I, I measure things in grams and I'll tell you why later, but with, with moon cheese, they'll sell you, if you get them at Starbucks, they'll sell you a little two ounce package. That's two servings. So it's really a serving size is one ounce. That's what it was. So they'll sell you, they'll sell you a two ounce package. And t- my husband just came in with the, the bag of moon cheese and I'll hold it up for Jesse to see. And then I'll actually read the ingredients off the back or not the ingredients. So this is a 10 ounce package of pepper jack moon cheese. 10 ounces is 283 grams, apparently. The serving size is one ounce or 28.3 grams. I'll tell you again why I use grams later. And there's 10, it says about 10 servings per container because it's in grams and in ounces and it's not exact. But for one ounce of moon cheese, pepper jack, it's 170 calories. It's 14 grams of fat, two carbs, and 10 grams of protein. And I usually do like 15 grams just to get a half serving, but I can overeat this so much. And if I buy it at Starbucks, like when I'm I'm on business trips, I will eat the entire bag in one sitting. Not going to lie. 
Okay. So if you're if you're like baking something or you're getting like a like a, a package mix or you add other ingredients to foods, don't forget to add those other foods nutrition facts to the total and then divide by the number of servings you're having. So let's say you're making some pastaroni. I used to have pastaroni in college, but it's an easy example because you add other ingredients to it to make the final thing. You'll have the pasta, you'll have the sauce mix, and then you'll have whatever you add to the sauce mix, like milk or something like that. You might add water. Water is great. It's zero carbs, low. It's <laughs> it's quite like uh, gluten-free. It's uh, low carb, low fat, low sugar, all that. I, I like that, that meme. Anyway, so if you go back to the pastaroni, some people will forget to include the nutrition facts for the milk when they calculate how many carbs, protein, and fat are in their servings. And that can wreck your blood sugar. It's the same with any other packaged mix or food that's partially prepared, like brownie mix is a good one, that you have to add other things to. So just don't forget to take those other foods into account. And this is where a diet app or like a nutrition tracking app like Lose It can really help because you can build your own recipes and add all the foods that you put into that recipe and then define what the serving sizes are. And I use that. I've been using that since 2013. It's pretty useful. So why I measure things in grams instead of in ounces or in cups or other volume-based measurements, it's just easier to get closer to the accurate number of how many carbs, protein, and fat is in my food, even though that 20% margin of error works against me. The other thing is that volume of things weighs different. So if you want a cup of shredded cheese versus four ounces of shredded cheese, and four ounces, four ounces is approximately a cup. The only reason I know this is because 28 grams of shredded cheese is a quarter cup. So you kind of, yeah, and there's 28 ounces in an, uh, 28 grams in an ounce. And so if you do this long enough, you get to remember what all the things are. But if you are doing a cup of cheese, you might stuff a lot of cheese in there to get a cup. But you're getting more than four ounces because you're, you're basically overfilling the cup because it's a volume and it's not a weight. And if you do that, you're not getting an accurate measure of how much cheese you have in that cup because you stuffed it in there. So that's, that's why I measure things in grams. I just, I feel more confident when I'm eating, when I do it, when I do it that way. It also helps me make recipes and lose it because then I can get very precise with how many grams are in a total recipe before deciding how many grams I want in a serving. So I make, I make something called, I call taco mash. It's basically a pound of, pound of ground beef a package of frozen cauliflower, taco seasoning, and I think that's basically it. I used to put some lupin, ground lupin in there too, but we don't get that anymore because Casa doesn't carry it anymore. But how I do that is I have the total weight at the end of cooking it is uh, the number of servings that I have or the number of grams in my recipe. And then I have my recipe list in Lose It. It has all the ingredients. And once I know the total weight of the whole recipe, I can define... Uh, how many, like how the, I can define the nutrition information in each gram, which is really cool. Cause then I can say like, I'm going to have 106 grams of this. And then I know exactly what I'm eating again, within that 20% margin of error. But that's why I do that. Now on to the different names of sugar. Sugar comes in different names so that manufacturers can disguise it. So this is a really big reason why you should pay attention to the ingredients list. Verda Health put together a list of 56 different names that manufacturers use besides sugar and cane sugar and organic cane sugar, which are all just different ways of saying sugar. Dextrose, fructose, 
galactose, glucose, lactose, maltose, sucrose, beet sugar, brown sugar, cane juice crystals, cane sugar, caster sugar, coconut sugar, confectioner's sugar, that's powdered sugar, corn syrup solids, crystalline fructose, date sugar, demerara sugar, dextrin, diastatic malt, ethyl maltol, Florida crystals, golden sugar, glucose syrup solids, grape sugar, icing sugar, maltodextrin, oh, I hate maltodextrin, muscovado sugar, panela sugar, raw sugar, sugar, granulated or table, sucanat, or sucanat, sucanat, okay, we're going to just go with that, turbinado sugar, yellow sugar, agave nectar or syrup, barley malt, blackstrap molasses, brown rice syrup, buttered sugar or buttercream, caramel, carob syrup, corn syrup, evaporated cane juice, fruit juice, fruit juice concentrate, golden syrup, high fructose corn syrup, which is also abbreviated as HFCS, honey, might be natural, but it's sugar, invert sugar, malt syrup, maple syrup, molasses, rice syrup, refiner syrup, sorghum syrup, treacle. You heard a lot of the word syrup in there. It's a, probably a good chance that if there is that word, if you see syrup on the ingredients list, that is a form of hidden sugar. So just pay attention to that. All right. So my favorite saying in the whole diabetic world, low sugar doesn't mean no sugar. So this happens to be one of my favorite sayings as a diabetic. And here's the story time that goes with it. So one time I went to a baseball game with my family and we were in one of these ridiculously fancy booths where you sit above the whole crowd, you get to look down and you get free food, free candy, sodas and more. It's all included with the ticket. And the thing is, we got to go for free because my dad knew people back in the day. <laughs> so being the new diabetic that I was, I grabbed the first soda that I saw after eating a lot of shelled peanuts with all of the salts on them. And the label said low sugar or no sugar. I can't remember exactly which one it is. But whatever it was, it wasn't what I actually needed it to be. So I started drinking it and it totally was full of carbs and not sugar. So luckily my dad cut onto it a little bit later and I was fine. I went screaming high for like an hour because it had so many carbs in it. And I do remember it was a Pepsi and I was really disappointed in myself, but I was eight at the time. So I kind of gave myself some slack. Anyways, just be aware that even though the label say may say low sugar, it doesn't mean that there's no added sugars and there still could be a lot of carbs in it. Another great example of this is, again, sugar-free candies like sugar-free gummy worms because the carbs per serving might be so low they won't even put anything in there. And then all of a sudden you're sitting, you're munching, you're endlessly chewing, and you're not even realizing how many carbs you're eating. And also like the artificial sweetener candies, just pay attention to how many eat because you might be sitting on the toilet later. But you can listen to our episode on artificial sweeteners for more about that, which is that whole episode. We talk about that. It takes a lot of trial and error to find out what things may work in your body and what don't and to pay attention to the labels on those things so you know what to avoid in the future. I highly recommend trying an elimination diet to find out if you're sensitive to something. It could just be one ingredient that you're reacting to, but you won't know unless you remove it from your diet to find out. And you can go back to episode 59 to learn more about elimination diets. 
Suffice to say for this whole episode that nutrition labels are really important for both type 1 and type 2 diabetics because so much of our blood sugar is governed by what we eat. And if we're not clear on what we're eating, we'll just have a harder time controlling our numbers. The spotlight this week is on Dr. Ken Berry, a board-certified family physician and fellow in the American Academy of Family Physicians. He shows you how you can use your diet and your lifestyle to get to the health you want. He has videos on YouTube about the low-carb slash ketogenic slash carnivore diets, intermittent fasting, thyroid health, hormone optimization, and much more. He's declared basically all-out war on the epidemics of hyperinsulinemia, type 2 diabetes, and obesity currently hurting our world and hurting your health. Dr. Barry used to be the fat doctor who told his patients that they need to lose weight. He's been making a lot of posts recently on Facebook about the food labels in popular cereals and exactly why the big processed food companies are not making food that is in your health's best interest. I highly, highly recommend checking out his YouTube and his Facebook pages, and you will find links to both of those in the show notes. All right. Our questions for you guys this week is, do you know how to read a food label? And when did you first learn how to read them? I started learning how to read them at age eight. How old were you, Colleen? I imagine that it was just always a thing because I was diagnosed at two. <laughs> so like, I, I don't remember a time I didn't know how to read food labels. All right. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 86. That's the number 86. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have an idea for a topic, you can fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. And a few weeks ago, I ran a goal challenge, a five-day goal challenge in my group. So we do fun stuff like that. And uh, if you want to join, you can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. It's hard to do things on your own and feel like you're successful at doing them. And this actually applies to the frustration of reading food labels. So if you want help with the frustration of reading food labels, uh, if you want help losing weight, reducing stress, improving your relationships, book a free consult with me at inspiredforward.com slash book. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward. And you can find me on DMP, Diabetes Management Platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. Our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, please make sure you mention you're a listener of the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. And be sure to listen next week when we talk with extra special guest Bob Banting and his son, Jim. Bob is a grandnephew of Frederick Banting and has some very interesting stories to share about how, how type 1 diabetes has impacted his family. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.